Is everybody ready for church? Amen. What a great, great worship experience so far, huh? There is no one higher than Jesus, amen? It's so good when you're able to just kind of exalt the name of Jesus. The Bible says when we lift Jesus higher, he'll draw all men into himself. So we need to be known as a church that is constantly lifting Jesus higher. And it's so great when there are songs that actually take us on a journey to lift Jesus higher in the house of the Lord. Amen? God is good, is he not? Well, my name is Pastor Derek. If you're new to Connect, I just want to welcome you to our house. Mikasa is Sukasa. We are so glad that you could be with us this morning. You can get your worship guides out, your Bibles. For those of you who use the old school Bible or your digital Bibles as well, follow along on version. We have our whole worship guide inside there. Uh, you can just put in the live events, our zip code, or you can put in our church name, and you'll see our whole worship guide inside there for taking notes and all the scriptures. Usually more is inside that than there is in your worship guide because we can't fit it all. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Would you guys join me as we pray? In fact, let's do this. Let's stand to our feet as we pray. Can we do that as we honor God just for a minute? Praise the Lord. Let's just bow our heads. Thank you, God, so much for the opportunity to worship you, to declare your goodness in the land of the living. We're so glad that we could be here together to be able to worship freely, to be able to have uh, just the joy of the Lord, which becomes our strength. I thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, that there is freedom. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring freedom to our minds, that you bring freedom to our hearts, that you would open us up, Lord. We ask, Lord, for an open heaven to be made available today, God. There are many times throughout scripture, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, where where, where men of God pointed to heaven and just they just prayed for that open heaven. I just ask, Lord, for a little bit of heaven to come down to earth today. And we want to do things, Lord, that invite the presence of God into our lives, into this service, into uh, this experience. And I thank you, Lord, that there are people here that are expectant, that are excited, that anticipate the inevitable intervention of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, high five somebody to your right or to your left. Say, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Come on, get ready. Say, get ready. Get ready. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Listen, I hear oftentimes, you know, people say to me, because uh, I like feedback. Everybody say feedback. And I don't mean like sound feedback. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people not, you know, kind of talking back, connecting. And, 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 I've, and I've been in a lot of different places, uh, in particular recently speaking, and just seeing different climates and different cultures and things like that. And I'm very grateful for the culture of Connect Community Church. You guys, you guys are uh, just an awesome environment to, uh, to be able to connect with. And honestly, even to speak to, I hear many people that come in, they love to speak at Connect because it's very vibrant, it's very alive. And, uh, but I think God wants to take our church to another level. Can I have an amen out there? And so I just want to encourage you. You know, some people say to me, I'll come out sometimes, and I've been pretty transparent and said that sometimes they get off the stage and the enemy will, you know, like a parrot, he'll talk in my ear and he'll just say some ugly things and they didn't get it or that didn't make a difference or that didn't do anything and, and that kind of stuff. And that's my battle. But I want to tell you a little bit about your battle. Your battle, sometimes I hear people and they say, Petey, we were listening. Oh, we, were, we, we might have been quiet, but we were listening intently to everything that was coming out of your mouth. I hear that a lot of times. But this is what I want to tell you. I believe that you you are ambidextrous spiritually. That means that you can not only hear the word, but you can respond to the word. Can I have an amen out there? I, I think it's important that you kind of get ambidextrous as Christians. The best, the best way to get something out of the word is to interact with the word. Come on, the best way to get something out of the word is to interact with the word. So once in a while, yeah, so once in a while, you need to clap. Once in a while, you need to say amen. Once in a while, you need to say Mmm, that's good, PD. Come on, just say that one time. Mmm. That's right. You might need to do a little bit of that. I don't know what your thing's going to be, but every time there's a touchdown at a football game, you see different athletes celebrate different ways what just happened. Once in a while in church, you might need to celebrate what was just said. Somebody might need to stand up even now. You just mean, mm-hmm, that's good. You know what I mean? So I want you to get a little bit free this morning and just celebrate a little bit what God is saying to us in the house of God. Amen? The Bible tells us in John 6, 63, the word of God is spirit and life. I mean, it's not like dead letter religion. It's not just something that, you know, we put up on a shelf and read, you know, before our kids go to bed, a nice little bedtime story. No, the Bible is incredible. The Bible doesn't just inform you. 
the Bible transforms. How many love the Bible? I want you to fall in love with your Bible. Not the book, not the cover, but the words, the words of God. They are spirit and life, and they can transform you. Are you ready for the word? Amen? So just meditate a little bit. That's cool. And, that, and you can stew on it, and you can chew on it. But every now and then, you, when you taste something good, you know, you need to say, mmm, that is good. I can't help myself once in a while when, when my wife makes something that tastes really good, just kind of responding to the taste in my mouth. And when the word of God is in your mouth and you're chewing on that, I think once in a while you ought to respond to that. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm getting something out of this already, okay? I, I want to be a people of God who bring faith into the atmosphere. You have a role to play in this service. Say, I have a role to play in this service. Say, I can bring faith into the atmosphere. Turn to your neighbor and say, even you can bring faith into this atmosphere. Get with it. Get with it. <clears throat> All right. Hebrews 12.1 is our theme text. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Everybody say, a great cloud. So there's a crowd in the cloud these witnesses that are there, and it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I love the second verse, and I don't think it's in your notes, but the second verse of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus. Who do we look to for our example? Who do we look to for, for help and for assistance? We look to who? We look to Jesus. Amen. The author and finisher of our faith. Everybody say faith. So this is going to be a series that is going to be building your faith. If there's something that I think that God wanted to speak through this series is that we need to elevate our faith. We need to go to another level. That's why it's important to not just, just hear the word, but to interact with the word. Because the word can change you, but you have to let it work in you at, in order for it to change you from the inside out. Amen? So it says, who for the joy set before him, Jesus did this, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. So I love this particular text, and we're going to pull out different people from this cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 12. They're actually referencing people from Hebrews 11, which some people know as the Hall of Faith. And there are some people in the Hall of Faith that the, the Scripture didn't even talk about. It references there are many more that could be talked about. But we're going to talk about a couple of people from Hebrews 11 and a couple of people that weren't in Hebrews 11. But this message is entitled, Stepping Out in Faith. Amen? I'm really excited to tell you about this. And this is kind of like voices from people of faith, voices from the Hall of Faith. And one of the favorite, my favorite stories in the Bible is taken from 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Uh, I'm going to read more than what you have because of time. Uh, I didn't put all the scriptures in there, but you can look at the whole chapter. It's, it's like 3 uh, through like 15 approximately. But it says this. It says, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. Everybody say four lepers. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here? Why are we here just sitting here until we die? Or your, your Bible may say in the NIV, why sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and, if we shall, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we'll die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall, we shall die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp to their surprise no one was there everybody say no one was there so this is a key part of the story there were four lepers they were sitting outside the city and they just kind of looked at their circumstances they looked at their surroundings they couldn't be in the city because they were lepers they were cast outside the city and and, and they were sitting out there and they're saying you know we can't go inside if we stay out here we'll die why don't we do something about that and so they were, they, they were just living in famine, and they were just kind of, at this particular time, the Syrians were holding out. They were holding Israel hostage. They were inside the city, and their intent was to starve them and to dehydrate them in this particular camp. And these Syrians are saying, if we stay here, we're going to die. And so they go to the enemy's camp to surrender. Maybe they'll let us live if we surrender. Maybe they won't, but all I know is if we stay here, we'll die. we got to do something. So then it says in verse 6, For the Lord has caused the army of the Syrians, listen to what happened as a result of their actions. 
For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, in other words, they saw a crowd. These Syrians see these four lepers coming to them to surrender. And as these four lepers are approaching them, they see a crowd. They see a crowd. They thought there was a crowd of people, but it's just, it's just these four lepers. Can you guys picture this just for a moment? God made it sound like they were being attacked by mercenaries so vast, so awesome, that everyone basically totally fled the scene. Are you getting some of this out of this right now? But the truth is, just a few lepers. Now, I don't know if you guys are picturing this the way I'm picturing this, but basically God creates a perception that was bigger than what they thought was going to happen. These Syrians thought they had the Israelites caught, you know, like, uh, like a mouse in a trap. They, I got you now. It's just a matter of time. I can't wait for you to come out and bite this piece of cheese because I'm going to get you really good. But what they didn't know was that there were four lepers outside who decided to do something. Listen, sometimes you just got to get up Sometimes you just gotta you just gotta step out. Sometimes you gotta you gotta get up so that God can back you up. Sometimes you gotta just do something. Sometimes there's something in our faith that just kind of holds us back. It kind of puts a lid on our life. And sometimes we think we need a, a whole crowd of people behind us that we can see with our own eyes. But God used four lepers to change circumstances, not only for them, for, for an entire people. And I believe this is actually the first episode of The Walking Dead. I do. This is, this is scene one, act one, season one, chapter one of The Walking Dead. I don't know if you've ever seen any lepers before. Is anybody, you probably, have, you probably don't go Google images for lepers, but the next closest thing to what a leper looks like is somebody from The Walking Dead. I mean, these guys, when they prayed, if they had an ingrown toenail, they would pray. This is how God answered their prayers. Oh, I don't have my ingrown, you know, toenail or fingernail anymore. But you know why? Because their finger fell off. Their toe fell off. That's, oh, praise the Lord. I don't have that problem anymore. You know, and so now they're going around like this. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a finger. They, they, these guys, sometimes they, they, they would lose their limbs. They would lose fingers. They would lose fingernails. They would lose teeth. They would, this, they could have been, just imagine, just four guys are just, uh, you know, and like maybe one leg, one guy's hopping, another guy's got one arm missing, you know, and they're going to surrender to the Syrians. Four lepers. They look horrible. And what do the Syrians see? An army, a crowd of mercenaries and soldiers and chariots and horses behind these four lepers. And they don't even know it. These lepers don't even know it. Why? Because they just did something. They just got up and they said, why sit here until we die? Why, if we go in, we, 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 we can't go inside because they'll all die. If we stay here, we'll die. We might as well go to the enemy's camp. Why sit here until we die? And as a result of their action, God backed them up. Are you guys tracking with me out there? These zombies, these lepers, these walking dead, they did something. And look in verse 7. Well, you, won't, you won't probably don't see this. But in verse 7 it says, they arose. This is what happened. The enemy said they arose and they fled. They left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys. They fled for their lives. It would be like, it would be like going into a city and everybody just leaves the buildings. They leave the car dealerships, they leave the banks, they leave the grocery stores, they leave, you know, the hospital, they leave everything as it was. Just, they just, they just vacate the premises. They just take off. What must they have seen? Certainly not four lepers to be able to do something like that. I can't even imagine it. And it says, and when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank. Yeah, you think? These guys partied like rock stars, all right? They weren't stupid, and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and when it hid them, then they came back and entered into another tent and carried some there also, and they went and hid it. They, they were smart lepers. They were smart walking dead. They still had some of the brains working. Everything else might have been hurting, but they were still there. And here's what, in verse 9 it says, they said to one another, they kind of came to their senses. Everybody say, come to their senses. So even these lepers, they came to their senses and they said, what we're doing, it's just not right. What we're doing is not right. They had a conscience. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. 
Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So basically, they realize that something amazing has happened to us. We can't keep all this to ourselves. We need to go back. We need to somehow notify the king and tell him what has happened here. They do that. They go and they notify the king. The king's a little skeptic. He thinks this is, this is a trap. And so he sends out some people to kind of figure out what's going on. These people go out and they say, sure enough, sure enough, it's the real deal. And so they realized that everything had been cleared out. And the, gate, the gatekeepers called out and they shouted the news. And they told to the king in the household inside that everything is just as they had said. And here's what I'm thinking about this whole story. If four lepers can see something like this happen, what can you see happen in your life? Come on, I want that to sink in just a little bit. If four lepers who are, who are just, they're the walking dead. I'm sorry, but I don't think any of you have circumstances that are worse than the four lepers. Last I checked, all of you guys got your limbs. You know, your eyes are intact. You know what I'm saying? You, you walked in here somehow. You haven't been, nobody's having church outside on the curb. We didn't keep anybody outside. Nobody's been cast aside as outcasts, social outcasts. I don't believe your, your life is worse than these guys. These guys, these guys, as they say sometimes in Minnesota. But you might think sometimes God can't use me. God can't use me in my circumstances, in my situation. He can only use so-and-so. You know what? We, you and I, might have leprosy of the mind. A lot of times people have cancer physically, but they have cancer of the mind first. And I'm very sensitive to cancer, so don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes the leprosy is not a physical leprosy. And a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, we say that doesn't apply to me. It applies to us because a lot of times we're sitting there in our circumstances and we're just kind of wah, 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 wah. And we are whining and we kind of moaning and groaning about why sit there until you die? Sometimes you just have to get up. Sometimes we have someone's sickness instead of a God's significance. Sometimes we have destination disease. We think if I was there, things would be better when God wants to do something right here so things can be better right where I stand, right where I sit, right where I am. Can I have an amen? Anybody out there getting what I'm saying? If I was inside the city, life would be better, but you need to be delivered sometimes from that that leprosy of the mind because God is no respecter of persons according to his word. And, and you know what he does? He does respect faith, but even more, he responds to it. That's tweetable. God respects faith, but even more, he responds to our faith. The Bible says in James 2.17, faith without action is what? Dead. It's dead. In other words, you're just going to sit there and die until you do something. I don't know what, death may not be a physical death, so don't check out because you don't think you're going to die tomorrow, though our, our days are not promised. Tomorrow is not promised to us. I'm believing many days are ahead for me. By faith, though, by faith, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's having a good time, but I'm having a good time. But anyway... I think what separated their situation and the outcomes of their life was they didn't do what most Christians do. They didn't just, they didn't just wait for the return of Christ. They didn't just sit there and just soak it all in. And that's what sometimes, am I being a little strong? If you're offended, I'm doing a good job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's what most Christians think sometimes, that Christianity is sometimes just kind of get saved, give your heart to Jesus, wait to die, and meet him, and one day he'll return, and, or maybe he'll return before I have to die. In other words, our wishes are so low when God wants to do so much more through our lives. And so sometimes we're just holding on and just hanging on and just waiting and just, and just kind of sitting and soaking or whatever, but they did something. I just want you to, I want that to stick out, stick out in your brain. I want it to cling to you like, like Velcro to your soul. There's something good happens to people who do something, who do something. It's as simple as that. Sometimes in order to see something miraculous, you have to get out, get out, get up, get into the game. You have to act. You have to move. I like to move it, move it. It's Jesus' favorite song. I'm pretty sure about that. Amen. Amen. So don't give in, don't give over, don't give up, just kind of do something. Here's the key. You can put this in your notes. Pastor Deesh, thank you. Stay where you are and you're gone. Walk by faith and God will come along, okay? Stay where you are and you're gone. Walk by faith and God will come along. If you'll just get up, in other words, God's going to back you up. Uh, there's this picture I have on my phone, but it's basically a picture of a tree. And it says, if you don't like where you are, move because you're not a tree. 
See, sometimes we just think that we, we just, we just, we're, we're dissatisfied with our current condition. If you have anything in you that resonates with that statement that I am dissatisfied with my current condition, that I'm not happy with the way things are, I can promise you that something about what I'm saying is connected to your change, to your transformation, to your miracle. Sometimes you have to act. Sometimes you have to move. Some, you step out and God steps right alongside you. He cooperates with people who live by faith. Amen. Here's some lessons from the lepers. They had leprosy. Okay. They were really sick. It was the real deal. And faith is not, just so you're clear, denying the circumstances. It's not pretending that we're not sick. It's actually categorizing and prioritizing our circumstances. In other words, it's not saying circumstances aren't real. It's just putting them here in other words, feelings, uh, how I feel. Is, do, I feel do I feel like a, lepers don't feel good? You know? Uh, or so actually, they, they feel so bad, they don't have feelings. They start to lose their feelings. It got so bad, they have no pain receptors, so they have a different pain. They have a pain of the soul because they can't feel anything. It's a deeper thing than that. So, so this is, faith is not denying the facts. It's not denying the feelings. It's simply elevating faith above the facts and the feelings. It's categorizing and prioritizing them. But they had leprosy. Number two, they were social outcasts. They weren't the elite, the best of the best, the healthiest, the perfect people. Most think that that's the only ones that can be used by God. So if you are rejected and dejected, if you feel sometimes like you're on the outskirts, guess what? God can use you. God not only he specializes in using the rejected and the dejected. If he could use four lepers to do such a miraculous thing in their lives that affected many people, he can use any of us. Can I have an amen out there? So they were, they were the leftovers of life. And these are the people, you know, how do we modernize that? These are the people you avoid in the grocery store. You know what I mean? You know those people you see, and you're like, oh, boy, I'm going to go down a different aisle. <laughs> All right? That's kind of a, that's the modern leprosy. God can use anyone. Amen? Here's another thing. They were dying. They were dying. They knew it. Why is that important? I think sometimes the Bible says it's appointed unto every man to die. And after that, the judgment, it's talking about a judgment of our works. But when you know your days are numbered, you act differently. These men had insight, they had insight into things that most people don't have insight into because they knew they were dying. The truth is we all sometimes live like we're not dying. We live like we're just going to go on and on and on forever. But they said, you know, if we, why sit here till we die? They knew they were going to die. If we go, if we go in, we'll, we'll die. Other people will die. If we sit here, we'll die. We might die. We might, perhaps, maybe. But you know what? Let's go over to the enemy's camp and see what happens. So they lived different because they knew that they were dying. If we all lived like we were dying, how different might we act? Faith realizes this world is a mist, and to make the most out of it, we need to trust God in all of our circumstances. And we need to see this body as but a shell. A shell that, if we're not careful, can take us to hell. We have to be wise and make the most of the days that are ahead. Amen? Another thing is they were outsiders. They had no support. And that's how many people feel today. And that's why I want to build you up because maybe you're not connected to a church. Maybe you're not in a small group today. Maybe you haven't figured out what your, your gifts and your talents are as you could tonight at Discovery 301. Maybe that hasn't happened for you yet. But you're, you qualify still if you feel like a leper. You're still qualified. You might feel like an outsider, but sometimes, this is what I would say, and this is what I think happened to them. These guys couldn't go back to their old life. They couldn't go back to their family and friends. You might be in a situation like that. You might be listening online, and that's how you feel in your circumstances. But their sickness actually made the possible, impo the impossible possible. Amen. Here's what I mean. It's like sometimes in our desperation, we receive revelation. Some of the deepest revelations in my life have come in desperation in my life. I don't know if you guys are getting what I'm saying, but some of you need to embrace your struggle. Some of you need to understand that God is not doing, before he does something outside of you, he might want to be doing something inside of you. The miracle might be inside before it's even outside. And when you see as God sees, he can do something through your life. And so he wants to take you and, and, and show you something in that desperation and pull you out of the cave, the hole, the hold, the prison, the path that you were on. Another thing that I like about this story is that they used reason. Everybody say reason. reason. They said, if we stay here, 
we will die. But if we don't, if we go there, maybe, maybe they'll take us in. Let's, let's die trying. Let's die trying. Where are the people of God who will just die trying something? I'm so afraid of failure. I'm so afraid of making a mistake. You know what? That's what fear is. Fear is faith in failure. Fear is faith in reverse. Fear keeps us from doing something like, like we're not uh, created to fall and get back up again. Has anybody just started walking and never uh, fell down in their life? No. And it's the same way in your faith. Every now and then you're going to fall down. But a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You just get back up and you learn from every fall. And you learn from every situation like that in your life. Amen? But they said, if we stay here, we're going to die. And so they rose up and they got what they needed. They took some of the spoils. They did their part. They cooperated with what God was going to do in faith. And these men had, even in that situation, with the death sentence on them, they still had a conscience. They still held whole, they held fast to their convictions, to their, to their values, and to of family and friends. And even in their leprosy, they thought about other people. I think it's important for you to have a miracle in your life. You have to be thinking about others, not just thinking about yourself. In order to do something, it's not just do something for me. It's do something for someone else in order for you to see the miracles of God in your life. Amen? So that's the walking dead. Now let's take another person from the crowd, all right, or people from the crowd. The second person from the crowd, I want to talk to you about the talking dead. So the walking dead were these four lepers. Now I'll talk to you about the talking dead. This is a man named Abel. Hebrews 11.3 says this, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel, off, how did he do it? By faith. Everybody say, by faith, okay? Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness, or your Bible may say in the NIV, he was commended as righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, that's faith, he, being dead, still speaks, okay? So in other words, because of what Abel did thousands of years ago, Thousands of years ago, his actions, according to God's word, still speak, though he was dead. The talking dead. So we're not talking about the walking dead. Now, this is a, this is a hero of the faith whose life still speaks to us today, though he's dead. The question is, what does he speak to us? What is actually coming out from his mouth? The Bible says his giving was commended as righteous. Did you ever think about that? That God commends people who don't just give, but they give by faith. They give by faith. God doesn't just commend people who give. He commends people who give by faith. God sees giving by faith as righteous. That word commends means to praise, to glory, to boast, to shine, to celebrate. In the Hebrew, it's halal, halal. And I want to say what I clearly see from this text to those that this applies. But you who give by faith at Connect, you who give by faith, uh, God commends you. God commends you. Glory, praise, you know, that a boy, that a girl, celebrate. I celebrate with God for those that do that. And I, I just believe it's important. But here's a question. How many want God speaking well of you and your offering? I know I do. I want God to speak well. It always gets quiet when you start talking about this subject, but that's okay. But here's the original version, okay, from Genesis 4. Look in your notes. I think you have this in your notes. But Genesis 4, 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve. I think you guys can fill in the blank on that, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. Now many believe, actually, that Cain and Abel were twins because of this text. Uh, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Everybody say keeper of the sheep. You could say a rancher. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, a farmer. So one brother's a rancher, one brother is a farmer. And then it says, and in the process of time. If you have your Bibles, you should underline or, underline or circle process of time. Now, you would think that both of these brothers, because they gave, would be commended for their giving. They both gave, clearly. They both understood it was a part of their, their belief system, their DNA to give. But God clearly makes a distinction here in the scripture that one gave by faith and one did not. It came to pass that Cain brought 
an offering. That's another one to circle or underline, an offering. Or some, as might say in your Bible, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So one brought an offering or some of what he had. Another brought the firstborn or the best of what he had. And it says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, look at this, sin is lying at your door. And it desires, it's desires for you. Desire in that translation means it wants to rule over you control you, manipulate you, but you should rule over it. So I want to pull from the crowd this great giant of the faith, Abel, who though he's dead, his life still speaks to us on many different levels. Now, Cain's offering was different on many levels, and here's one of the reasons. In the process of time, Cain brought an offering. Again, it might say some. In other words, in the process of time, when, I'm, when I finally pay my bills... This is how it translates for, for you and I. When we contextualize what happened in the Old Testament and put it into our situation and our circumstances, this is how it would translate. Basically, Cain brings something to God, but he does it basically in the process of time. In the process of time. You know, he knew he should give. He knew that God is my creator. I know I should do this in obedience to God, but I'll do it when everything's all set, when everything's taken care of, when everything was okay. When, when I figured out what, what, what needed to be done and whatever was left over, that's what I brought to God. And so we see giving is something different to Cain than it was in Abel. And I think, and I think it's clear throughout Scripture, which I can't unpack today, that God was less interested in amounts and he is way more interested in being first. He is interested in priority. That's something you can write down to never forget. But God is way less interested in amounts. This is how you interact with the word, by the way. You don't just talk back, but you take notes. So the, uh, he's way less interested in amounts. He's way more interested in priority. God doesn't need your money. God needs to be first, though. And it's all throughout the Bible. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the point. That's what God respects. I want God to respect what I bring to him. Respect means to, to gaze at, to behold, to regard, catch someone's eye. I want to catch God's eye. Do you, just, is there anything in your life that wants the favor of God on it? I do. I don't know if you need intervention of God in certain situations, but to have the intervention of God, you have to have an invitation to God to come into that situation, and that happens by faith, by putting him first and making him a priority. Amen? That's good preaching. Amen. So Abel brought first fruits of all his increase. The thing that we teach at Connect, which I believe is strongly biblical, is it's God is into first fruits. He's into being first. He wants you to look at him to, to where you go to first. He wants to be first in your finances, first in your interests, first in your relationships, first in your schedule, first in your troubles. He just wants to be first in everything. But there's no greater test of where he can be first than in our finances. So here's lessons from Abel. God demands to be first. Abel put God first above retirement, <gasps> taxes, <gasps> bills. <gasps> he wants to be first. Amen. That's what Abel did. That's what his life speaks to us from the grave and testifies to us. And it was commended to him as righteous. Both brother, brothers gave, but one had favor and one did not. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're giving, but you don't have the favor of God on your finances because you're not giving to God first, because he's not first in all things. Look at this next thing. Don't let money determine your choices, your choices. I, this is interesting to me, but, and this would be counterintuitive for a lot of people, and I get that, and that's okay. I'm willing to be unpopular, but some leave and go to cities, move and transfer elsewhere uh, uh, just for money, not knowing there's a life-giving church that's going to be there. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. It just says God's not first. It says that God is not central to my life. It just says that relationships are not key and strategic in order for me to be successful. I'm just going to go there because there's a job there. What am I following? I'm following money, not God. Woo, 
some people don't like this, but this is still true. When money is first, we let it rule and determine our decisions. But when God is first, we have different priorities, different decision-making processes. And God was saying to Abel, uh, excuse me, to Cain, you got it wrong. You got the wrong priorities in your decisions, Cain, and in your finances. Here's another thing. Um, I just, by the way, I just think the secret to blessing on your finances is not just to bring the tithe, which the Bible says to return or to bring the tithe. So we always think it's about 10%. Oh, he's going to go on and on about 10%. He's going to go on and about. I do believe that's the standard. The standard's good because there's equal sacrifice and there's equal opportunity. So I believe he said 10% rather than amount. God's not, he doesn't care about amounts. That's why he said it as a percent. So I do believe in percentage giving. But I think the blessing comes when we give him the first of what we have. So before I get, if, I, if my money was determined by uh, peanut M&Ms, which happens to be my favorite candy. Don't give me any, please, because I'm trying to be good. But uh, I said that one time about Entenmann's Danish, and I got like six of them on my desk the next week. But anyway, appreciate that, but no. But if it was candy M&Ms, and I had... And I, and I got paid with M&M's. I don't wait until I get 10 M&M's before I give them the first. No. The first time I get paid, my first candy M&M, that's the one I give to him. That's what God is saying. Don't wait for the other nine to come in. What? Wait a minute. But how do I know if everything's going to be okay at the end of the month? Because God is your source. Because he's the one who supplies. Because he's the one who gave you the power to get wealth. Because he's the one who blesses your finances, not your employer. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches, not the world's in Christ Jesus. Woo! Okay. Obviously, we have to manage well. Obviously, we have to see him as the owner of all things. Everything was created by him, for him, to bring honor to him. I believe that according to God's word, Colossians 1.16. And Chronicles tells me that as well. But I steward well, but if I want to just handle this side over here, but I want to see the blessing of God come from heaven to earth, I've got to put him first. And a lot of people get that all mixed up. Here's the next thing we can learn. Don't let money rule your emotions. God said to him, why are you so angry? God didn't, ex- God didn't accept what he gave because it was leftovers. God is saying, this is not me rejecting you, Cain. This is you rejecting me. I don't love Abel more than you. Don't let money rule your emotions. I didn't accept your finances, but I do accept you. I didn't accept your finances because you did it wrong. There's an order to favor and blessing in your life. There's an order. God is a God of order, not just in church, not just with your dress. He's a God of order in your finances. And he wants to actually order your heart, what we say, what we say are our priorities, to actually be reflected in our life, in our practices. Hmm. Listen, money rules people's emotions. Men think about money more than sex, and that's a fact, and that is saying something. That is a powerful, profound statement. Okay, here's the next thing. I'm just going to move on because that's a different series. Don't let money create rejection or a victim complex. If you don't do what is right, this is what God said, sin is crouching at your door. God is saying, I don't have favorites, but... Because I like her more or I like him more, God will bless everyone and everyone can be his favorite if we do things right. The truth is, the truth is we have a bad attitude towards money, and if we have a bad attitude towards money, listen, we have a bad attitude towards faith. Because faith and money are inseparable. Faith and favor in our finances are inseparable. People that give uh, first fruits are freaking out excited about what I'm saying. People that don't, I pray to God, you're not condemned, but you are, you are, you are poked. You are goaded to good works. You are challenged to do things the way God says to do them. Not because I want something from you. I say this all the time, and if you're a guest, if you think I'm after your money, please go someplace else, but give there. But give there, because I'm not after your money. I'm after getting something through you that will truly bless you in the process. We don't talk about this every Sunday. I haven't talked about this in months. But God blesses our church because as a church we tithe. Because as a church we bring first fruits. Because as a pastor I tithe. And as a pastor I bring first fruits for 23 years. And I've been blessed because of it. And you will be too. Amen? So here's the last one. Here's the strong one. Woo, this is going to be big. You guys ready for this? Say, I can handle it. Come on, give me the Justin Bieber. I can handle it. I can handle it. Okay, that's a song. Never mind. 
Don't let money master you or cause you to sin. Don't let money master you or cause you to sin. By not doing it God's way, listen, 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 it makes you susceptible to sin and even destructive behaviors, patterns, and more. This is strong, but the Bible has some really strong things to say, but you can look in, your, in, in the Bible sometime. First Timothy chapter 6, it talks about that, it, that people who, who uh, f- fall prey to riches of this world, they fall into many traps, many grievous and, un, and unhealthy behaviors. They can even fall away from the faith, it says. Fall away from the faith. Money is, because money and your heart are connected. They're connected. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. It says where your treasure is, whoop, there's your heart. There's your heart. So there's a strong connection between these two things. So don't let money rule you, but you must rule over it. And we have to talk about money once in a while in order to be healthy people. The Bible says you can't serve both God and money or mammon. You, can, you have to either love the one and hate the other. In other words, in contrast to your love for God, hate money. Money's not bad. Money is neutral. The love of money, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, is the root of all. Wow. All evil. All sin. The love of it. That's what it can do. In Genesis 4, it's interesting that God says something about finances and connects it to sin. If you don't, if you don't do what's right, money Money can lead, the love of it can lead to sin. In the Old Testament, it talks a lot about, you know, some strong stuff with with this. But you say, well, pastor, we're under grace now. Praise the Lord. We are under grace. I'm all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. Yes, amen. I'm all about that grace, no doubt. That's true. Many think because we're in a New Testament thing that tithing doesn't even apply. Well, read Matthew 23, 23. I beg to differ. Jesus' own words, red letter edition, there it is. Oop, there it is. Jesus said it, that settles it. I'm doing it, even if that was the only verse in the Bible. But, 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 he, but so it's New Testament. But first fruits are in the New Testament as well. But, but, but the Old Testament had some strong uh, outcomes. Sometimes God would get really upset with man when they sin and they fall away. Some bad things would happen. This is really strong. It's going to be one of the strongest things I say in this particular message. But I, I was reading this yesterday. I told my wife, I said, honey, I've never thought about this. I've never seen this. But the, listen to this. Please take this in context as best you can. The only time God ever killed someone in the New Testament was when someone claimed to be giving from a heart out of generosity, and they really weren't. In Acts chapter 5, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now this was a time when the Holy Spirit was moving, and, and one of the signs of revival were people were giving extravagantly to, the kingdom, to kingdom purposes. And then with his wife, full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. God takes that personal. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I think God takes first fruits seriously. Uh, It works both ways. I think God will commend you, but you can condemn yourself by not putting him first in all things. Not immediately, but in a sense, ultimately. He doesn't, he, he does his part when we do our part. I think we need to get good at the subject of giving. I think we need to get it in our hearts, in the house of God. Let's trust God with our money. Amen. Let's not let money rule us, rule our emotions. Let's let the, the Holy Spirit rule us. The only thing that should rule us is the Holy Spirit. Write this down. One of, I think this is in your notes. One of the best areas of demonstrating your faith is in finances, by far. I think in my strong and humble opinion, the two most influential areas for growing in Christ as a disciple is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and giving in accordance with God's word. Another people, people who stay and stand, or I could say sit in, in struggle, staying in struggle, are usually in that position because this is, sometimes we grow for a period of time 
and we're taking off like, you know, uh, you know, Grant took Richmond. We are moving and shaking, all right? But then people that hit a lid, I'm talking about people who have been in the church a while. You hit a lid, and it's usually because of two subjects. You haven't embraced the person and work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or you haven't embraced giving. That will take your, because it requires faith. Just like it took faith to receive, by faith we receive, great, we receive God's grace through sal- salvation is received by faith. The same thing that re- is required to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is faith. And the same thing that it takes to bring favor and blessing on your life in, in finances is faith. Whew. Nobody likes that, but I think that is good. My preaching is better than the volume of your amens. Okay, so in other words, there's a connection. Don't let money master you. Don't let, uh, don't let, but only let the Holy Spirit master you. So when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and you're giving, you can come under the, you can come, you live in faith. You typically live more in faith. All right, you get ready for one more and then I'll finish with this last one. This will be quick. The man, the man who looked ahead. So we got the walking dead. We got talking dead. Now the man who looked ahead. Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 through 29 says, by faith, Moses. Everybody say Moses. When he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because he saw, because they saw he was no ordinary child. It says in one translation, a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Check this out. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy enjoy the passing, or your Bible may say fleeting, pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Everybody say, look to the reward. That's what faith does. Faith looks ahead. It looks to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, a type of world, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they, the people of God, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Here's some lessons for Moses. Number one, this was a man of faith. Some of the greatest acts of faith ever recorded in Scripture were through the life of Moses. Number one, faith refuses to blend in. Refuses to blend in. Can I have a better amen than that? I think the church just wants to kind of tolerate and blend in and be like everybody else. You're not going to change anybody else if you're going to be like everybody else. In order to make a difference, we have to actually be different. And the Bible says he refused. He refused to be called the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused, in other words, to identify with an ungodly system. And Egypt is like a type of world, an an ungodly system. He refused royalty. He refused the fat cat life. And some of us are chasing the American dream instead of chasing God's dream for our life and following what, what he put in our heart from the beginning of time, which he ordained for you to do if you would walk in it. And that's where your fulfillment would come from, not by living the American dream. He said, I would rather be mistreated being with God than being in the world. And he would rather have been identified with slaves of Egypt than to, live, than to live this temporary life. He saw the big picture. Number two, faith chooses the high road. Everybody say the high road. You could say the hard road. Sometimes we think as Christians, and sometimes people tell us, by being Christians, it's going to be easier. Let me just introduce you to that lie. It's not always easier. Maybe in the beginning, for a little while, it's funsies. You know what I mean? But, but it gets a little bumpy after a while because God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He is more interested in doing something through you than giving something to you. In order for you to see that, you have to live by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to do this life without faith. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about. You need faith. Faith is not a noun. Faith is a verb. Mm, ah, mm, mm, mm. So this world's tough. Christians are facing immeasurable challenges, immense challenges in today. But if Moses could come out of the crowd, he would say, do not choose the easy path. Do not choose the course of least resistance. Do not be like water and just follow the the clearest and easiest path. Faith doesn't make sense sometimes. It's counterintuitive sometimes. But God wants us to live by faith. Amen? Amen? 
there's, there's all kinds of things that are coming out in our world today. We live in a society where laws and legislation are trying to dictate what we believe or what we don't believe. And I am not going to dilute the word of God and bring it down to some level and succumb to what the world says or culture says. I don't care what the authorities of this world say. Ultimately, I'm going to submit to them to the best of my ability, but if it violates the authority of God's word, I'm following that. I'm following that. That's how it's going to go. I would rather be mistreated. I would rather be mistreated. And we got to bring our life in line with the wisdom and the standards of the word. Amen? Faith sees the temporal pleasures rather than, and, and sees them as what they really are, temporary. They're just temporary. All right, number three, I got to go fast. Faith looks ahead. Everybody say, look ahead. He was looking ahead, the Bible says, for his reward. Faith looks past lunch, you know, at Cheesecake Factory this afternoon. Faith looks past the immediate rewards. I didn't say Piccadilly, Devin. Okay? <laughs> Faith looks past that. Why? Because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. All right? Faith doesn't look at just the here and now. Egypt has treasures. The world definitely has treasures. The world can give us and offers us certain things that look attractive. Let's face it. You know, sometimes there, there's a lot of sinners because sin is fun. Sin has pleasure for a season. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Ultimately, our separation from God. So, so there wouldn't be so many sinners if sin wasn't fun. I had fun sinning. But the next day wasn't so fun. The night before was fun, but the next day wasn't so fun. But we can't, we have to decide not to conform to the pattern of this world. One time I was speaking at one of the premier Christian high schools in the United States, and I was speaking on sex. They actually called me in to speak on, imagine that. And I was talking about, to young people, about saving oneself before marriage. You would have thought that, you know, I had the plague. I had leprosy. And after speaking there, I had a conversation with one of the principals, and he rebuked me for telling them what I told them. Now listen to this. He said, Pastor, do you know what century we're living in? Why would you come here and speak those things to these kids? I said, this is a Christian school, isn't it? And you're a Christian principal, aren't you? And he said, yes, that's absolutely true, but God's word, some of the things in there are old-fashioned. They don't apply. They're out of date. We're living, he said this, we're living in a world where everybody's doing it. And I said, listen, these are God's laws. He said, those laws are old-fashioned. I said, so is the law of gravity. And if I was to pick you up right now and I was to throw you, you would still fall down, buddy. Some laws are timeless. The word of God has timeless truths. And so though you might not be popular sometimes, and I haven't been invited back to that particular school, that's okay. But regardless, we have to decide what laws are we going to follow. Some laws last. Some laws are forever. And God's law stands forever. I, God, I am the Lord. I change not, the Bible says in Malachi. So we got to stand out. That's what Moses would say. Don't blend in. Come on, somebody. Don't blend in. Are you blending in? Are you a chameleon? You know, are you a thermostat? Are you a thermometer? What, is, what are you doing? Are you changing the temperature? Or are you conforming to the temperature of the room? Which is it? You have to decide that. Lastly, faith leaves the world. That's the first part. I, and the second part, I'll give you in a second. It says, by faith, he forsook, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did he do it? How did he forsake the world? Because he focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. He focused on him who was invisible. How could he do that? He couldn't do that without a relationship with God. He couldn't do that without a relationship. Many times Christians do one of two things. They live on two extremes. They go to the extreme grace theology where anything goes because God forgives anything and everything. And I, I, I believe in grace. I believe that we have a gracious God. But, that, but sometimes Christians abuse grace. And I'm going to party like a rock star on Saturday night, and then I'm just going to repent on Sunday morning. And we do that over and over and over again. And you know what happens is we don't grow, and we don't go forward, and we don't make a difference because what's happening in here is not translating to what's happening out there. And our party in here should be better than any party that's happening out there. That's what should be happening. We just keep saying grace, grace. Well, then we got the other extreme where we get too legalistic and judgmental and become super spiritual, super cops for Jesus. 
Well, we just police and manage everybody's behaviors. Hmm, I don't know about him. Hmm, I don't, look at, oh, geez, look how she's dressed. Oh, my gosh, can you believe he just said that? We should pray for him. We should pray for him. We should pray for her. And we all got the ministry of prayer, otherwise known as gossip. And so, and so we separate ourselves sometimes physically from the world. Oftentimes we separate ourselves physically from the world because we're afraid of being contaminated, being drawn back in, because we want it so bad. We haven't really, we haven't really met the, the, the loving arms of our Savior. We haven't really embraced the Father who's lavished his love on us. We haven't really embraced the grace. When we receive grace, we want to give grace. When we receive grace, we're empowered not to continue to sin. We sin less because we have embraced grace, not sin more. I beg to differ. Anybody that's abusing grace has actually, has actually received grace in its fullness. But so we go to the other extreme, we're afraid of falling, afraid of tripping, and then we'll judge everybody else and prioritize everybody else's sin, and God wants us to walk in the fear of the Lord, and in the process, we influence people. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. How do we do it? Because we're in awe of God. We're in awe of God. And in the process of our awe of God, we're attractional, we're, com- we're influential, we-, we impact people in our surroundings and in our relationship. Here's the the second part of that point. So faith leaves the world and takes people with them. Here's the balance. A lot of people just stay in the world and don't change, or they leave the world and don't take people with them out of the world. Look at this. It says, and he did it. How did he do it? By faith. He saw Pharaoh who was visible and followed who was invisible. We can't just leave the world and not take people with us. By faith, it says, they, the people of God, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. It's sad when Christians pull out of the world and won't take anyone with them. Moses would come out of the crowd and he would say to you, just like he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Take my people with you. Don't just leave the world. Don't just leave Egypt and not take people with you. Our job as a church is to take people with us. We're supposed to get them out of the world and take them to another world, to another place. We are aliens, sojourners, foreigners in this world. We're here for on assignment. Am I crazy or is anybody getting something from what I'm saying? Okay. So here's the key. Faith goes places in the world. Faith goes places people in the world cannot go but want to go. We cannot do this life separate from faith. This life eats us up separate from faith. But God wants to raise up a people who will pull away from the world in our hearts, not in our life, separated in our hearts, not in our life, and take people with us. Would you stand on your feet let me pray for you? I hope you guys survived that. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. Yes, Lord. We don't just hear it, Lord. We do it. We're not just informed. Lord God, we're transformed. We, we're not just, uh, just responding to the word. We're interacting with the word. We're not just thinking about it, Lord Jesus, but we are, we are, we're going to talk about it. We're going to tell other people about it. So I pray in Jesus' name for every person that's encountered the word today that they would be transformed from the inside out, Lord, because we know that your word is alive. And it is active to people who will live and act on it. And so I pray for the person who is sitting here in a circumstance, in a situation. I think the Bible would say to you, maybe you've got a trial in your life. Maybe you've got a difficulty that's going on in your life. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's marital. Whatever the problem is, if you have a problem, I want you to raise your hand right now. You know there's something you need a miracle in in your life. Come on, good and high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is your chance to tap and touch heaven. So, Father, every hand raised, Lord, I just pray for every person who's li- who, who, who wants something to happen in their life and t- that they learn how to live by faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to them on what is, what is their action step, what is their next step to do something, that they get a holy boldness inside of them that says like those four lepers, that if God could use them, he can use me. If God can do something through them, he can do something through me. The same God, the same God is alive today. He's the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is still alive and well today, and, he's, and he wants to do something in me. But maybe I need to say, why sit here in this situation until I die? Why allow this thing to go on? If I'm sick, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to pursue every avenue of support. I'm going to pursue every avenue of, 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 of health. I'm going to pursue every avenue of prayer. I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I'm going to do 
something, but I'm not just going to sit here. If you're struggling in your finances, I pray in Jesus' name that they see that faith and finances are connected. And I pray, God, for breakthrough in people's finances in Jesus' name, where they see that God doesn't care about the mounts as much as he cares about being first. Put him first and watch what your God will do. Do something. Do something soon. Watch what God will do in your finances. And maybe you're here today as a Christ follower and you've just been blending in. You've just been the chameleon. You have just, you've just allowed the temperature in your life to conform to the temperature of this world. And God wants to heat you up this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name for every person that knows that there's a call of God on their life, that they would not follow the American dream, that they would follow God's dream for their life. And they would stand up, that they would stand out, and they would no longer blend in in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's a person here today who needs to be introduced to that faith relationship, in order to know about this, experience this, and have all of this, it requires a step of faith. A step of faith. And if you've never made that step of faith, and you want to make that step of faith today, and come to God, you take one step His way, He will meet you right where you're at. That's the kind of God that I know, and the kind of God that I love and I serve and I've given my whole life to. It's changed my life, coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you. The Holy Spirit invites you to be in relationship with Him. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to be in relationship with him, and I don't want another day. I don't want it to be an almost Sunday. I want it to be a today Sunday where I come into relationship with Christ. God bless you, sister. Is there anybody else? God bless you, sir. Is there anybody else that says that's me that I'm missing good and high so I don't miss you? God bless you over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just, just pray this prayer with me. Church, would you pray this prayer along with him? Say, Jesus, save me today. This is not an almost Sunday. Today is the day of my salvation. I receive by faith through grace salvation in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. Yeah. Come on, give him a good one. Give him a good one.